Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Feeling good? Man, wasn't that music powerful? I mean, this is just, what a, what a way to, to worship, what a way to celebrate what Christmas is all about. And it is an honor to be doing it here with you guys, whether you're in this room or at our South Campus or watching online. Merry Christmas. We're glad that you're here. And we know that this Christmas feels maybe a little different than Christmases have in the past. I mean, just, there's a lot going on in our world. It just, it's just a little different. And so maybe the traditions around your house are going to look a little different this year, and that's okay too, but I think it's still important to hold on to some of those traditions. And so before we dive into the message, I just wanted to quickly celebrate some of the traditions that happen not only at our house, but around the world this time of year as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. So a few of the things at our house is my amazing wife talks our four amazing sons every year into dressing up in Christmas pajamas and taking a picture on the steps. So this is from a few years ago. Haven't taken this year's picture yet, but the pajamas are already in from Amazon. So boys, get ready. Now, Ashley participates too. A few years ago, they got her a reindeer um, bathrobe that they expect her to wear every single Christmas. And she does. Isn't she the cutest reindeer you've ever seen? Now, around the world, there are lots of different ways folks celebrate, some of them weird. Like in the Ukraine, for instance, where one of the main Christmas decorations is a spider web. You know, I don't know why. I've never been to Ukraine, but it says so on Wikipedia, so it must be true that they use spider webs. Now, in Guatemala, where I have been many times, because this church supports uh, a great orphanage there, Casa Shalom, one of their big, somewhat weird Christmas traditions is the burning the devil ceremony. So they make a devil out of wood, and they light him on fire. What says Merry Christmas, really, like a burning devil? In fact, for tonight's Christmas blast, in addition to the fireworks and the food trucks, I'm lobbying heavily for a burn the devil station. So come tonight, and you'll find out if it indeed happens. Now, of course, food is a big part of Christmas tradition. People love food. I eat way too much this time of year, like a lot of us do. Um, in Japan, for instance, through a very clever marketing campaign, they're all convinced that what they all have to eat on Christmas is Kentucky Fried Chicken. So the kernel is everywhere in Japan this time of year. But if KFC's not your thing, maybe you travel down to South Africa and you can feast on the Christmas delicacy of fried worms. I don't make this stuff up. That's a real thing. And it's really gross on this massive screen, especially. And maybe this year for you feels kind of like a fried worms kind of Christmas. You're like, you know what? I'm going through the motions, but I just feel like we've gotten a, gotten a rough hand this year dealt to us with COVID and with just all the different chaos and stress happening in the world. And plus, you know, the individual stress that your family might be facing. And, and it has been a difficult year for so many of us. But even in the midst of the difficulty, there are so many reasons to celebrate. There's so much goodness that, that God is doing all around us that we'll miss if we're not careful. You know, I found a, a verse, actually a few verses, that has kind of become my theme verse for 2020 because it acknowledges the pain. It acknowledges the fact that things aren't exactly how we want them to be, but it also acknowledges the goodness of God. 
Lamentations chapter three, verse 20 says, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Man, that's good news. That is good news on good days. That's good news on hard days, that God is with us. He is for us. In fact, that's the first principle that we're gonna talk about today. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The Prince of Peace is present with us in our pain. We're in a series right now called Peace on Earth, and we're talking about that peace that the Prince of Peace came to bring. And today we're gonna talk about it in a very personal way. What does that peace look like in your life, in your family, in your home, when you're facing just hard times? And a lot of us are facing hard times this Christmas. In fact, one thing every person in this room, every person watching online has in common is that every one of us have some hard times in our life right now. Now, it looks different for each of us because pain is like a fingerprint. It's very personal. It's very individualized. But all of us have faced hard times and are facing hard times. Even in the midst of good things, there are things in your life that are out of sync. There are things in your life that that, that could occupy your worries if you let it. And for some of us, those things might be relatively small, but for some of us, those things are just astronomically big. There are folks connected to this church body that are just dealing with unimaginable pain this Christmas. You know, just in the last seven days, you know, I've, I've seen some tragedies happen. I think about our friends, um, Anthony and Marianne Braswell, who lead a church in North Carolina. In fact, the very first marriage event my wife Ashley and I ever did outside of Stevens Creek Church was at their church in North Carolina. They, they invited us in. Just a wonderful family. And Marianne has courageously battled cancer on again and off again uh, over the last decade. And this week, this week, Marianne, she passed away. She went home to be with Jesus at 44 years old, leaving behind two teenage kids and a heartbroken family and a heartbroken church. And guys, listen, on this side of heaven, like that kind of pain, it, it, it just doesn't even make sense. We can't wrap our heads around it. You know, this week, in the last seven days, I, I did a funeral for a baby in this church, a family that, that I've known and loved for years that are very much a part of this church. They lost a child, guys. That, that, that is the kind of pain that, that on this side of heaven, there's just no completely making sense of it. But something I shared at that funeral that I believe firmly is that there are so many promises in God's word that give us hope in our darkest hour. And one of the ones that gives me the most hope in moments of pain is the shortest verse in the Bible. And all it says is Jesus wept. And the reason why that verse gives me strength is it reminds me that we have a savior who's not distant from our pain, that he came from the comforts of heaven and he he intentionally came on a rescue mission here to earth. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. He came as a baby. He lived in our broken world. He took on our pain. He is present with us in our pain. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But because of him also, our pain is temporary because He didn't stay here in our pain. He conquered death, hell, and the grave, which is what we celebrate on Easter. And he has made a way for us in heaven that once we put our hope and trust in him, we're adopted into God's family. And that now forever we know that we'll be with him one day where he'll wipe every tear from our eyes and there's gonna be no more crying, no more death, no more funerals, no more divorce, no more cancer, no more COVID. It's all gonna be finally once and for all conquered. But in the meantime, we live in the in-between. We live in this world where there is brokenness and we feel it every day. 
but we also live in a world where our Savior is present with us. And if we're in tune to him, we'll feel his peace and provision every day. I love this reminder, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. If this Christmas you're just feeling like your heart is broken, and maybe on the surface you're still smiling, maybe on Instagram the pictures still look like everything's together, but behind the scenes there is just a a brokenness inside of you. I want you to know that God sees that. He sees you, he is with you, and he is near to you in that. Now, God is always with us. So when the Bible says he's near to us when we're brokenhearted, it doesn't mean he's far from us when we're not because he's always with us, but there is something, there's something about when we experience pain that we can feel and experience God's presence like never before if we'll be open to him. Because pain will do one of two things. It'll either make us shake our fist at God and try to push him away like we're blaming him for what's going on, or it'll make us with a tender and broken heart invite him in even more to experience the peace that only the Prince of Peace can bring. And if you're feeling that brokenheartedness today, just know that God is with you in that. He is for you and he is never gonna leave you. He's never gonna forsake you. And that is a hope that we have in our hardest days. If you're experiencing pain today, we can also remember this, that God never wastes our pain. He often uses our pain to pave the path to our purpose. So if you've experienced pain or if you're experiencing it now, God is not gonna waste that. He's gonna use it to make you closer to him. He's gonna use it to to strengthen your faith and he's gonna use it if you let him to be part of your testimony where you'll be able to use the story of what God brought you through so that you can give hope to someone else when they're going through the same thing. And to give an example of that, I wanna share a story from scripture that I'm gonna make a bet you've never heard this story in a Christmas sermon in your life. It's from Mark chapter five, If you've got your Bible or a Bible app on your phone, you can open it up and follow along. I'm just gonna tell you the first part of the story instead of reading it, because it's a lot to read, and then I'm gonna read you the very last part. But this is one of those stories in the Bible that if I'm honest, it always kind of messed with me when I read it or when I heard anything about it. And if we're all honest, I think most of us have parts of scripture that are kind of like that. We've got the parts of scripture that we just love, you know, we highlight them and we circle them and we post them on Facebook and we make bumper stickers out of them. But then we've got those other parts of the Bible where it's like, oh, like, I don't know what to do with that. I mean, that's like, I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me. But here's the deal. Every bit of God's word is equally powerful and it's here for your good. And everything in here, even the parts that might make you uncomfortable at first glance, are there to show you something about who God is and to show you something about his plan for your life. And so I'm gonna share a story with you that for a long time was one of those stories that just kind of bothered me because I didn't see, I didn't see the point. But those are the very places I think we need to camp out in scripture because those are the places where God's wanting to teach us the most. And so now when I read this story, years, years and years later, it gives me so much hope and it gives me so much strength and perspective and I hope it does for you as well. Even though there's some parts in it that on first glance are probably gonna weird you out. I'm just gonna warn you. But stick with me, because Jesus has put this story in the Gospels for a reason, and he's got something he wants to teach us today through Mark chapter five. So here's the story. It's early in Jesus' ministry. Jesus is out teaching. He's doing his thing. He's got his disciples with him. You know, they're healing people. They're going town to town. They're just getting started. And Jesus comes across this guy who's out of his mind, like legitimately out of his mind. He has just kind of been left by everyone in his life because his life's falling apart. And the Bible makes it a point to say it isn't just that his life's falling apart. He is literally possessed by demons. Okay, now that's the first part of the story that when I heard it as a kid already kind of freaked me out. I'm like, oh my goodness, like this, 
kind of scary, it's kind of spooky. But here's the thing, Jesus was never freaked out by talking about or dealing with demons or anything in the whole unseen spiritual realm. It was so normal and natural to him because he knew and he taught that there is a, there's a whole realm of stuff going on that's completely unseen and he is Lord over all of that, the same he's Lord over everything you can see and we shouldn't fear the seen or the unseen. And so Jesus goes up to this guy who's demon-possessed. Everybody in this guy's life has already run out because he's out of his mind. He's a danger to himself and others. And so Jesus pursues, pursues people when they're at the point where everybody else in their life has, has left. And Jesus pursued this guy, and here he is just completely crazy. And Jesus walks up to him, totally chill, starts a conversation. First question What's your name, Jesus asked. But here's, again, kind of an interesting part. He wasn't talking to the guy. He was talking to the demon inside of the guy because he knew this guy wasn't even in control of his own mind anymore. So he's talking to the one who's controlling this guy like a puppet on a string. And the voice comes back, and I picture like a really deep, scary voice, and I'm not gonna try to do it now, but the, the voice comes back, and the answer is, legion, for we are many. So this guy is possessed by a bunch of demons. Now, I don't know enough about that whole realm to know exactly how this happened. I don't know if there's like a demon Airbnb and one of them found this guy on there and he went and stayed in the guy and he left like a five-star Yelp review and he called the other demons like, guys, you gotta come over here. This guy's got plenty of space. There's a lot going on. You, you gotta check him out. And next thing you know, there's a whole legion of these guys living in this poor dude and he's completely lost his mind. I don't know how all that happens, but what we know is there's a bunch of demons in this guy and they're talking to Jesus now and they know who Jesus is. The demons recognize who Jesus is and they tremble at his authority and at his righteousness and at his power. But what happens next is just is strange to me the first time I read it. The demons start negotiating with Jesus. They know who he is. They know he's the son of God. They know he has all power and authority. They know he's about to cast them out of this guy because Jesus cares about every human being more than we can imagine and he doesn't want anything, any foreseen or unseen to control you except for the love and grace of God which brings freedom and life to you. He doesn't want anything else to control you because it will enslave you and he came to make you free. And so the demons know that Jesus is about to cast them out, but then they ask him for a favor, which seems kind of just bold and odd to me that a demon would ask Jesus for a favor. But the crazy part is Jesus says yes. So the demons say, look, look we know who you are. We know you're gonna make us leave this guy. But if it's not too much to ask, please don't send us into the abyss. You know, there's this herd of pigs over here. Can we please go possess the pigs? This is in the Bible, guys. I don't make this stuff up, okay? And so Jesus looks over at the pigs and he says, yes, go ahead. And so the demons leave this guy they go possess the pigs. The pigs now lose their minds, run off a cliff, and drown. To which point the pig farmers, who are watching the whole thing, say, what the heck, Jesus? I mean, I know you're Jewish. I know you don't like pork. But come on. I mean, that was like part of our livelihood. And so instead of really just marveling at the fact that they just saw a man delivered and they saw the supernatural and Jesus showing his power over the seen and the unseen. And it, instead, they just freak out that their pigs are gone and they make Jesus and the disciples leave. They chase him out of town. 
At which point, Jesus and the guy that he just saved, they're about to have a conversation. I'm gonna read that to you. But, okay, coming back to the story, what just happened, and a lot of you guys are looking like the way that I looked probably the first 10 times I heard or read this story, which is like, what is he talking about? Like, what does this have to do with anything? Is this actually in the Bible? It's totally in the Bible, and God, like all parts of the Bible, wants this story to tell you something about himself and something about his plan for your life. And so here, after a long time, is why I finally, finally, now I'm not only disturbed by this story, but really comforted by it. Jesus is teaching us a lot about himself in this story. Number one, he has power and dominion over everything seen and unseen, and he wants nothing but good things for us. Number two, there are many things in this life that want to control you, forces of darkness, depression, discouragement, distraction, and yes, even in the year 2020, forces of the demonic. We don't need to fear those, but we do need to be aware that there there are so many things out there that wanna lead us in the wrong direction, and apart from Christ in our life, all of our lives are headed where those pigs are headed, over the cliff. First time I read that story, I thought, well, Jesus just didn't like the pigs. That had nothing to do with it. The point of the story had nothing to do with the pigs. It's that Jesus wanted to give us a visual lesson of where our lives are headed apart from him. He let the demons go into the pigs because he wanted us to see in a visual way we would never forget where our lives are headed apart from his activity in our life. Our lives are headed over that cliff. Our lives are headed for destruction. And Jesus isn't going to let it happen. There have been so many times that your life has been spared and protected that you weren't even aware of. This guy, his life was spared and he didn't even know what happened. He was out of his mind when Jesus did the miracle for him. He wasn't in a place to ask for help. He wasn't in a place to deserve help. He wasn't even in a mindset to understand what was happening, and yet Jesus stepped into his story, and he prevented his life from going off the edge. And if you're sitting in this room right now, or if you're listening to the sound of my voice online or wherever you are, it means there have been countless times that Jesus has prevented your life from going over the edge because you're still here. And there's breath in your lungs and you've got a heartbeat in your chest and that means that God still has a plan for you on this side of heaven. And whether you've seen it or not, there have been many, many times that he has stepped in against the forces of darkness that were trying to pull you one way and he he has acted on your behalf. Even when you were acting against God's will for your life, God has shown you grace that you didn't deserve and he's shown the same grace to me. But he wants us to know and be aware of these forces so that we can once and for all turn to him and say, Jesus, I don't wanna be controlled any longer by any force but you. I don't wanna be controlled by any addiction, any mindset, anything but you, Lord, because all of those other things are gonna lead my life right off the edge. And Jesus, I want you to be the leader of my life. I want you to be the only leader of my life. And that's a choice every one of us has to make. It's the most important decision of your life. Who is gonna lead your life? It's gonna be Jesus or it's gonna be some other force that's gonna eventually lead you off the edge. Even if you think in pride, I'm leading my own life. I don't need anybody. That's the voice of pride, by the way, and pride comes before a fall and those, just like those pigs, your pride is gonna make you fall right over the edge. We all need a savior. Jesus came to be that one and only savior and we put our hope and our trust in him. And then what do we do What does it look like as we're living for him? Well, that's what this guy wanted to know. Jesus just saved this guy, restored his mind. What what does he do? And so Jesus asked him like, oh my gosh, Lord, what what do I do? I wanna just, I wanna be with you. I wanna follow you around. Jesus told him what to do. Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. 
The Decapolis, that, that literally means 10 cities. Decapolis, Decapolis, it's a, it's, a, it's a term referring to these 10 little towns that together made up a metropolis. This guy went back home to that area and he just started telling people, like, this guy Jesus, he totally changed my life. He, he's totally set me free. And they were like, isn't that the dude that was crazy? Isn't that the guy that was like living out in the woods by himself and like totally out of his mind? Like, yeah, that's the same guy. Well, he says this dude, Jesus, set him free. So this guy goes back home, starts telling people about, about what Jesus had done. Now, this guy in, in particular doesn't show up in the rest of the Gospels, but I believe that his work does show up because Jesus comes back to these same areas later in the Gospels, and there are huge crowds that have gathered to hear him, huge crowds to hear the Sermon on the Mount, huge crowds to, to be there as Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Where'd these huge crowds come from? There was no social media. There was no news. They weren't mailing out flyers. There was no radio station promoting it. It was word of mouth. It was guys like this who went back home and said, I've met Jesus. He's changed my life. He wants to do the same for you. So when he comes back to town, you've got to come with me to hear him teach and to see what he does because he really is the son of God. He really is the Messiah we've been waiting for. And this dude's testimony compelled other people to come. And this is a big part of what all of us are called to do. God's calling on your life is something very unique and that he has very specific things for you and only you to do in your life with your skills, with your personality and your experiences in your family and career and all that. But he also has things that he's called every single one of us to do. God's will for your life without a doubt is for you to put your faith in Jesus Christ, accept him as your savior, experience the forgiveness and freedom only he can bring and then to tell other people about what God has done in your life. By the way that you live, it doesn't mean you have to stand up on a soapbox and preach at him and shake your fist at him. It just means you share the grace of God to say, man, my life was headed one way. It was headed toward going off a cliff. But Jesus stepped in and he, he, and he saved me from that. And he wants to do the same for you. And the more that we live that way, the more that this broken and sad and cynical and skeptical world will slowly open up their closed minds and hearts towards the hope that all of us need, the hope that can only be found in Jesus. And we can be part of that. We can be part of that just by pointing people in the right direction. And I, I think that part of why we miss, we miss opportunities to have gratitude and we miss opportunities to tell other people about Jesus, I think there are a lot of reasons. I think one of them, though, is that we tend to focus on the negative instead of focusing on all the good things that God has done. And like whatever you train your eyes to focus on and your mind to focus on, that's what'll seem bigger. If you, if you train your thoughts to focus on the blessings in your life, you're only gonna see blessings. If you train your thoughts to only focus on the negative, you're only gonna see negative. The happiest, most joyful people I know, and I bet the happiest, most joyful people you know, they're not the ones who have the best circumstances most of the time. They're the ones who have the best attitude about their circumstances. They're the ones who've chosen to thank God for the good in their life to look at the negative in their life in its proper place. That yeah, this isn't ideal, but this is temporary and God's gonna do something in that, but I'm not gonna let this ruin my day or, or bring me down because my God is good and he's for me and I'm so thankful, thankful for what I have. I'm thankful that I have a home in heaven. I'm thankful for, for, for my health or even if I don't have my health right now, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm, uh, well, there's just countless things to be thankful for. And if you have that, you have a joy that nothing in this world can take away. But if we're only focused on the way that our life doesn't look, man, I thought, I thought I'd be married by now, or I thought I'd been promoted by now, or I thought my finances would finally be fixed by now, or I thought that I'd, whatever, 
and we only focus on that, we miss out. And you know, I, I think maybe one of the reasons why God chose Mary for the awesome assignment of being the mother of Jesus, what a, what a great assignment, even though in many ways, your calling and mine are the same as hers, which is to carry Christ within us to a broken world. That's a sermon for another time, but, but Mary was chosen for something really unique and, and really special, but she was just a normal person. I think we forget that these are normal people. We just picture them as these like statues of marble that didn't have any real feelings, but Mary was a kid. I mean, she was a kid, a poor kid in a regular village, and God picked her for something unique, and she responded with faith and with gratitude, even knowing that saying yes to this amazing assignment, she wasn't picturing, oh, one day schools and hospitals will be named after me. No, she was picturing the fact that, like, my family's gonna ostracize me because I live in a time and place where if you get pregnant and you're not married, a, a young girl can be executed for that. I live in a time where, you know, you're, you're pregnant outside of marriage, that your, your family disowns you. You know, I live in a time when, when, when Rome is occupying um, my whole land and making me live essentially like a slave within my own land. And when they know that, that I'm carrying this promised Messiah, this King of Kings, there are earthly leaders who are gonna be so threatened by the fact that the King of Kings is finally here, that he's gonna have a target and I'm gonna have a target on me for our whole lives. But instead of focusing on that, I'm gonna focus on the fact that God is doing a miracle and he's chosen me to be a part of it. And I, I love this verse describing Mary's mindset in the midst of all this. Luke chapter two says, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Luke, the, the writer of the gospel of Luke uses the same language several places talking about Mary, that she treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. It's a very personal expression. The only way you could know someone was treasuring up something and pondering it in their heart is because they've told you and again, these are real people. The Gospel of Luke was written at a time historically that we know that Mary was still alive. Luke would have interviewed Mary. Can you imagine how cool is that? You're sitting down with Mary. She would have probably been about in her 60s at this point when this was being written. And he's interviewing her and just saying, tell me the story. Tell me the story about when Jesus was born. Tell me what you were thinking. Tell me what you were feeling. And I just picture her saying, man, it was amazing. Like, there was so much going on I didn't understand so much happening that was just so much bigger than me. And here I was having a baby in a barn and it was God's kid. And I mean, like, it was mind blowing. And I didn't understand everything that was happening, but I just kept telling myself over and over, Mary, pause and treasure this moment. Every time you, you hear that precious baby laugh, just treasure that moment and ponder it in your heart. This is a sacred, beautiful thing you've been invited to be part of. And I don't wanna miss it. I don't wanna miss it by being worried. I don't wanna miss it by being preoccupied with other stuff because there is something beautiful and sacred happening right here and I don't wanna miss it. And in your life and mine this Christmas, yeah, life might not look exactly the way you want it to look in this moment, but there are sacred moments happening all around you. There are precious moments that your kids or your grandkids wanna share with you and don't miss out on the, the sounds of their laughter. Ponder those moments and treasure them in your heart. There are sacred moments you could have when you just pick up and call a loved one you haven't talked to in a long time. And savor those moments, treasure them in your heart. Don't miss out on the blessings that God has put all around you because you're so preoccupied with what you feel like you don't have. Look around at the blessings that you do have and you'll start to see the work of Jesus 
everywhere. And again, maybe sometimes the reason we miss that is because we convince ourselves that our life's a failure because we have this rigid picture in our head of the way life was supposed to look and the way family's supposed to look and work's supposed to look. And it's not even a real picture. It's this kind of like airbrushed fantasy from a fairy tale and we don't have it. But then we convince ourselves everybody else has it because we go through Instagram and Man, that the filtered was an pictures look perfect. You know, everybody love- else has it at me. They don't have it either. They just have a good camera. Their life's as messed up as your life is, I promise. And mine is too. But yet in the midst of our mess, God is present. And so even when you're looking at pictures and you're comparing it even to the picture in your own mind of what you want life to look like, just know the picture never tells the whole story. It doesn't. I'll give you a couple quick examples. Picture doesn't tell the whole story. Here's, here's a Christmas picture that on the surface Seems like that's just the perfect Christmas picture. Okay, this is me in Bethlehem. Okay, years ago, I had a lifelong dream that got fulfilled. I got to go to Bethlehem. And this is me with a shepherd boy and a sheep in Bethlehem. Is that not the Christmasiest Christmas thing you've ever seen in your life? Well, it doesn't tell the whole story. Here's the whole story. Okay, that's Bethlehem. So you picture just like angels singing and it's just magical and it is a really cool place, but it's one of the most div- divided places on earth because of the tension and the years of, of racial tension and hostility between Israel and Palestine. There's a giant wall militarized on both sides that runs right on the other side of Bethlehem and you have to go through that wall because Bethlehem is now on the Palestinian side of the wall Jewish people are not allowed over there, so the bus has to stop, and anybody who's Jewish for their own safety has to get off the bus, which just feels so wrong. And then you go to the other side, and the people on the other side feel like they've been wronged by the people on the other side of the wall. And so there's all this tension back and forth. And you know, and I get on the other side, and I, and I kind of look Jewish, which makes it weird for everyone. They're like, well, what's up with this guy? Where's he from? And I'm like, hey, we're all on the same team. Chill out, right? And then I find this shepherd boy. He's not a shepherd boy. He's an entrepreneur. This kid doesn't have a bunch of sheep. He has one sheep, and he's got a business plan. And he waits for those buses to get off, and he's like, hey, picture, $3, $3, $3. I whip out my $3, and I wait in line behind a, behind a bunch of people. And I get up there and this little Palestinian entrepreneur, which is probably like the Mark Cuban of the Middle East now, he's probably over there like just, I don't know, he's probably a billionaire by this point. Smart kid, definitely not a shepherd, but a really smart businessman. Poses for the picture and and I put it online and it's like the Christmasiest Christmas picture there ever was, right? But there's always more to the story, isn't there? Three dollars, you could have it too. Here's another picture that doesn't tell the whole story. We see this and we're like, oh, they're, it's just perfect. It's the perfect Christmas. It's just, there wasn't a, a worry in the world that first Christmas. Listen, guys, these are real people. This doesn't tell the whole story. So you got Mary and Joseph. Um, probably, you know, apart from the faith they had in God, scared to death. Far from their home in Bethlehem, because of the census, they had to go there. Under Roman occupation and oppression, which was almost a form of slavery. No money. They couldn't afford a room. They couldn't af- they, there wasn't a room even if they could afford it. No hospital. No epidural, ladies. And she's having a baby in a barn. Now, 
Their families had ostracized them by this point. So who's gonna come and celebrate this baby? God's like, I got an idea. How about some homeless shepherds? How many of you ladies, after just giving birth, would like a bunch of homeless visitors to wander into your room and, 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 and like paw at your baby? It's probably not ideal. I mean, it, it, it makes for a really good nativity set, but for real people, Mary again was just, she, she was a good sport. She's like, I'm gonna treasure this moment in, in my heart and ponder it. But she's laying on straw in a foreign place, surrounded by strangers, in the cold, like, this is not ideal, right? There are no nurses coming to check on her. This is not ideal. But you're like, but what about the wise men? Didn't they bring nice gifts? They weren't there for like a year later. The only reason they're in this set is because Hobby Lobby wanted to sell you the extra figures. There were no wise men that night Jesus was born. They were a thousand miles away, still following the star. Like, the picture doesn't tell the whole story. But here's the beautiful part. Real life is always better than the picture because the picture's not real. The picture's plastic, and Jesus didn't call us to plastic lives. He came as a real baby to help real people like you and me me with our real messes, and that's the hope that we have at Christmas. I love the story, and I'll just read part of it now as we prepare to close, but he considered these things. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she'd given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Jesus, God with us. That's the hope of Christmas. God, he's with us, he's with you right now. He's with you in that mess, he's with you in that fear, he's with you, and he's never gonna leave you or forsake you. And here's the last point, because of Jesus, all our pain is temporary, all our joy will be eternal. That's the hope of Christmas, that's the truth of Christmas. He came into our broken world, and one day, one, one day he's gonna set it all right and make it all new, and in the meantime, he's with us in the midst of that mess. And we can trust him and we can have hope no matter what you're facing this Christmas. We can face it with joy. We can face it with celebration and with gratitude. We can ponder the moments in our heart and treasure them because we know God is good. Even when it seems like the world is broken, we know God is good. We know he's gonna make it all right in the end. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to earth on a rescue mission for us. Thank you, Lord, that the story you write is something so much more beautiful than any artificial picture could ever capture. Thank you that you're present with us in our pain. I pray that you'd give your hope and your peace in a supernatural way to all those here and all those watching online, all those at our South Campus who are hurting, who are struggling. Let them know without a doubt you're with them because we know it's true. You've said that it's true. For those who haven't yet made the greatest decision of their life to invite you to be the leader of their life. I pray that today be the day that they reached out in faith and said, Jesus, save me. Lord, I don't understand it all, but I believe that you love me. I believe your promises are true and I believe you're the only one who can save me and I'm asking you to save me today. Help me to spend my life following you. Make me the person I was meant to be. I trust you, Lord, with my past, my present, my future. It's all in your hands. For all of us, Lord, let us leave here today feeling lighter than we did when we walked in, knowing that you're the one who's carrying us and that you're near to the brokenhearted and that you mend those broken hearts as only you can, the Prince of Peace. 
We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.